You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Genesis 29 verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And he said, Behold, it is still high day. Is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together? Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot. And so all the flocks are gathered together, and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, For she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept out loud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Jacob said to, Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to her servant, to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her work. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Heavenly Father, we look to you this morning, Father, that you would be pleased to meet us in your word and speak to us, O Father, through your word this morning, opening our hearts, O Father, to 
the truths that you have uh, given to us, O Lord. Teach us that which, O Father, you intend for us to learn through this particular passage of Scripture. Show us, O Father, how this can be applied to our hearts even now, uh, this day, uh, in May 2019. So, Father, we look to you uh, for these things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, uh, we continue in our study this morning, you know, really systematically studying through Genesis. And uh, last week, when we were in Genesis 28, there we saw Jacob is on his journey to his uncle Laban's. And we're told in verse 10 of chapter 28 that he came to a certain place and stayed the night. Uh, He bedded down in the open country, and it was there that he had a dream And it was there that the Lord uh, meets him very powerfully in the midst of this dream. And we're told that what Jacob sees in his dream is a ladder that reaches from the earth up to heaven. And on this ladder are angels ascending from earth to heaven and from heaven descending to earth. And you have to wonder, you know, what exactly did that look like? Have you ever paused just to think, I wonder what those angels look like ascending up the ladder and descending down the ladder? Uh, Just a glimpse. And we are told that the Lord was on top of the ladder. The Lord stood above the ladder. Now, what exactly did Jacob see? We don't know. But what we do know is what he saw. It was very clear that the Lord revealed to him that it was indeed the Lord uh, standing over the ladder. Now, what is the significance of this? Last week we discussed that. And the significance of this is what God is saying to Jacob is you're not alone. I'm with you. And it's a surprise to Jacob. He had no idea. He says, boy, the Lord is really in this place. I didn't know the Lord was in this place. And the Lord's, and, and where God is meeting Jacob right where it hurts, isn't he? You know, Jacob's in a mess, isn't he? I mean, the mess that Jacob's in is, the, is a mess of his own doing, isn't it? We'll say more about that in a few moments. And it really displays the grace of God, doesn't it? Because a lot of times when we've dug ourselves a big hole and we're in a mess and we're feeling all alone, as undoubtedly Jacob felt, we, the last thing we think is going to happen is that the Lord's going to come to us with his mercy. In fact, it's in those times where we think the Lord's furthest away, isn't it? And we got to do something so he'll come back, right? Does that sound familiar? No. It's not how our God operates. And here we see, in a, in a completely unexpected to Jacob, here the Lord meets Jacob right where it hurts to tell him, I'm with you. And the Lord gives to him something we haven't heard for many chapters, have we? The Lord, in verses 13 and following, begins to pronounce the blessing that he had pronounced to Abram on numerous occasions. He had pronounced it to Jacob's grandfather, Abram. And here the Lord is pronouncing it to him in verse 13. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you are lying down, Jacob, I am going to give to you. He says in verse 14, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You're going to spread to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in you, this is especially the best part for us. In you and in your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. 
That's my favorite one. Is that your favorite one? I hope that's your favorite one. Because how does that get filled out? How does that, how does that play out? It plays out this way. Jacob has a son who has a son who has a son who has a son who has Jesus. Right? Of course, Jesus is, has no biological father, of course. But in terms of his adopted father, it was, it's Joseph. Right? In other words, how is this filled? It's fulfilled in the person of Christ. And you see, we, we're here. In this, in this word that's spoken all those centuries ago, we are part of the fulfillment, aren't we? I don't think a one of us is Jewish. We're part of the nations. We're part of the families outside of the commonwealth of Israel who are blessed, aren't we? Now, verse 15 is really important for understanding Genesis 29. Look at verse 15 of Genesis 28. To understand Genesis 29, we need to understand Genesis. We need to to be well aware of Genesis 28 and verse 15. The Lord says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. That needs to serve as a watermark, if you will, on the page of our minds as we come to Genesis 29. If we're going to understand Genesis 29, I would say this is a key verse. And actually, uh, this would have made a good scripture memory verse this morning, by the way. I, uh, uh, I didn't choose it for a reason. I'll explain here in a few moments. But 2815 would have made a good scripture memory verse. Here, God's promising to be with Jacob on this journey. He's promising to be with him wherever he goes, and he's promising that he will return back to his homeland is what God is promising. Now, when we come to Genesis 29, when we come to our text this morning, there we find Jacob, he makes his way up near Haran, this long journey. And in verse 2, he sees a well in a field, and he sees three flocks of sheep lying beside it. Uh, For out of the well, the flocks were watered. And we see there's a stone on the well's uh, mouth. The stone was very large, presumably such a large stone that would keep people from stealing water. And here we have these these flocks. We're told in verse 3 that when all the flocks were gathered, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Now, presumably, the stone is so large that it took several men to move it. So the shepherds would wait until everybody arrived. They would move the stone away. Then they would water uh, their flocks. Now, in verse 4, Jacob says to the shepherds who were there, he says, my brothers, where do you come from? And they say, we are from Haran. Now, we can imagine... um, Uh, Jacob's reaction to that. He has made this long journey from Beersheba all the way up to Haran. And this would be a lot easier if it said he made a journey from Nashville to Columbus. You know, we'd have a little better idea of what's going on here. These, we're we're not familiar with the geography, but keep in mind, this is a long and and really dangerous uh, journey that that Jacob is making. And here he runs into these folks and he just happens to ask them, do you guys know, hey, you guys know this, uh, you know Nahor? And they say, yeah. You imagine that? You guys know Nahor? 
Now, notice what he says in verse 6. Is it well with him? Now, keep in mind, there's probably been no communication between Abraham's household and Laban's household since Abraham's servant was up there years and years and years ago, probably close to 100 years ago, fetching Rebekah. They didn't have cell phones. And it might be tough for a few of us to imagine no cell phone. There was like no phone in front of their faces. They didn't walk around like this all the time. Uh, Some of us can imagine life without a phone. Once upon a time, we used to get in our cars. We used to leave our houses without phones. We didn't have a phone. And we really didn't miss it either. We didn't feel funny because we didn't have our phone. In fact, a phone really isn't something that even come to our minds, is it? There usually was a phone somewhere if you had a dime. I remember carrying a dime around in my wallet all the time, so I'd be able to make a phone call. And then, of course, inflation, it became a quarter. Um, famous country song, here's a quarter. Call someone, well, I'll leave that for another day. But um, that was in the 90s. Um, it was still commonplace. And you remember they would mount the phones to a certain height so you could pull up next to them in your car. <laughs> I guess that's a, that'd be a car phone, right? <laughs> wasn't real mobile. wasn't a mobile phone. Um, but my whole point here is, um, um, is that, you know, Jacob's on this journey. He's got this promise from the Lord. That should be enough. But our faith is what it is. Our faith is faith that wavers, isn't it? Doubts sometimes come in. And we can't, I can only imagine that there were many moments in this long journey, especially late at night, where Jacob is wondering, is Nahor, you know, is Laban still alive? Do they even still live in Haran? Are there any daughters? I mean, am I going to find a wife there? And here he comes upon these shepherds. And he asks them, do you guys know Laban? And they say, yeah. And he says, is it well with him? And they say, it is well with him. Can you imagine the excitement building up? And they do more than that. They say, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with a sheep. Look, there's his daughter. And Jacob says to the shepherds, he says, well, behold, it's still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. In verse 9, while Jacob is still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, Wednesday night, Wednesday night's Bible study, it is something that I do from time to time. It'll do it every Wednesday. And nor do I do it, I always do it in, in the pulpit on Sunday mornings. But my, one of my goals on Wednesday night wasn't just to, to teach the passage, but also to teach how to study the passage. And one of the things that I brought up on Wednesday night was to look for that which is shocking to you. Look for that which is shocking. A lot of times when we have something that has, it provides us with a certain shock factor, uh, that is warming us up to uh, God's purpose for that particular passage. Now, what is shocking about verse 9? What is shocking about verse 9 is the word shepherdess. How often do you encounter the word shepherdess in Scripture? I meant all week to look it up, and I forgot. But 
I believe, to my knowledge, this is the only place in Scripture where we read of a shepherdess. That's shocking. And it's actually cluing us in on what's going to take place here. Uh, it's, it's very providential on God's part, by the way. Now, in verse, um, in verse 10, Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, what's going on there? Another detail. We may be convinced or have the impression because Jacob is loved more by his mom as we've studied along and we see that Jacob really is kind of mother's boy and Esau is kind of your man's man out in the field, that Jacob's some kind of uh, little patsy. Uh, but this corrects that. These shepherds are all waiting around for help so they can roll the stone away. And what does Jacob do? He rolls it away by himself. Now, this grabs everyone's attention for sure. And then Jacob kisses Rachel and he weeps. He weeps out loud. I think that whole thing has just been penned up in him at this point. Is this really going to be successful? Is this really going to happen? Is this really going to happen the way God is? And there he meets Rachel. He finds out Laban as well. Everything is working good. And I think he just, just in a burst of emotion, he just lets loose and he begins to weep. And he kisses Rachel. And in verse 12, he, uh, he tells Rachel that he is her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. Now, in verse 13, we meet Laban. Now, we met Laban back in chapter 24. But now we're going to get to know Laban. And we do well to pay close attention to his character. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. Now, let's pause there for a moment. We're told that Jacob told Laban all these things. Do you suppose Jacob told Laban everything? <laughs> I mean, you think Jacob started by saying, well, you know, um, a, a number of years ago, my brother Esau was out in the field and he come in and he was really hungry, you know, and, and I just got done, you know, making this pot of stew and he smelled the stew and he said, give me some stew. And Jay, you know, Esau, he's, he's a big, strong guy, but he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer and there isn't a spiritual bone in his body. He's like a bag of hammers that way, you know? And I thought, this is my, this is, this is, this is my opportunity to steal his birthright. So I said to him, here, I'll give you a bowl of stew if you sell me your birthright. And that ogre, that simpleton, he sells it to me. Meant nothing to him. And then a number of years later here, most recently, you know, um, my father was about to pronounce the covenantal blessing. He calls for Esau because he's the firstborn. My mom found out about it and she talked me in, which wasn't real hard, talked me into posing as my brother and I went in and deceived my father. And now my brother Esau wants to kill me and I had to flee out of, out of Beersheba. Do you think he told Laban all that stuff? I'm thinking he left some of that out. I think the conversation started where Isaac, his father, said, listen, I don't want you to take our daughter from the Canaanites. I want you to go back to our, our kinsmen and take a daughter from there. I think that's where Jacob started with Laban. But Laban, Laban is no dummy. And he's an opportunist. And you can remember, last time Laban had a visitation like this, some guy showed up with 10 camels 
and a bunch of gold and a bunch of silver and a bunch of jewelry to take Rebekah, his sister, back. You think Laban forgot all that? Now, this Jacob character, he's loaded. He is loaded. But there's something odd about him. What is he doing here? He's all by himself. Where's the, in fact, why is he here? Shouldn't there be servants with camels? And shouldn't there be gold and joy? What's, something is going on here. Now, in verse 14, Laban, Laban, uh, he acknowledges. He, he says, surely to Jacob, you are my bone and my flesh. And Laban is convinced that, that Jacob really is a relative. And Jacob stays with him for a month. Then in verse 15, Laban says to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Now here, <laughs> we have a bargainer coming, coming to a bargainer, don't we? We've studied Jacob and we've seen how he's a bargainer, but here he's meeting another bargainer. And what is going on here? Well, in verse 16, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, there's a dynamic there. What's going on there? Okay, little sister, she's really attractive. She's cute. All the boys are after Rachel. Uh, Leah is just average. Uh, we see here. Now, in verse 18, we see that Jacob loved Rachel. You see that short sentence right there? Now, sometimes commentaries and commentators and uh, Bible interpreters will say, listen, if you've ever thought that love at first sight um, if you've thought there's no truth to it, well, then look to this passage. Uh, here we see love at first sight. And then others will come along and say, no, you can't get that from this particular passage. It's not love at first sight. I'll tell you what I say. It might not be love at first sight, but one thing we can definitely say is it's love in the first month, isn't it? A month has transpired, and Jacob loves Rachel at this point. And listen... It's no surface thing either. We, we'll, as we continue in our study of Jacob's life, we're going to see he really, truly does love Rachel. He really does love Rachel. And that's why I chose verse 20. I mean, how, verse 19, um, uh, in verse 18, rather, Jacob says, I'll serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, well, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. And in verse 20, look at the beauty of verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Now, why? I, that, this particular passage isn't going to come to the, to, the, to the real heart of the point I want to make this morning, which I'll get to soon in case you're wondering if I'm ever going to get to it. But it's a romantic verse isn't it? And I thought, you know what? Let's make this one because I, I just want you to realize that there isn't an emotion that we can experience that isn't covered by the Bible. And someone said, well, romance isn't in the Bible. Well, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it's right here. He loved Rachel so much that those seven years of hard labor uh, for Laban was just but a few days. Just but a few days. What woman in this congregation wouldn't want to hear your husband say that? Is there a one? Any? Oh, yeah. Look at the love that he has for Rachel. 
In verse 21, keep in mind, between verse 20 and 21, seven years elapse. You have to always be mindful of time markers when you're reading the Bible. <laughs> between verse 20 and 21, seven years go by. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. Why? Seven years have gone by. And we have to wonder, why is Jacob coming to Laban and saying, hey, give me my wife? Why doesn't Laban say, hey, okay, your seven years are up. Let's start planning a wedding. And I actually wonder as I read this, would Laban even bring it up? If Jacob didn't bring it up, was Laban going to bring it up? I don't know, but I have a sneaking suspicion that he might not. Uh, this Laban, as we're going to see, is a tricky character. Well, verse 22, Laban does the right thing. He gathers together. He throws a wedding. There's a big feast. Now, these weddings are different than our weddings. We just had a wedding in the family, and I think I can say it practically killed half the family, didn't it? It was a wonderful thing, but it was a lot of work. And uh, I, I, I think it about killed everybody, you know? It was a joyful killing. <laughs> we were happy to do it. <laughs> we do it again. It was a beautiful wedding. It was a wonderful wedding. Uh, we're so happy for them. But these weddings went on for a week. You know, not just like one afternoon, an evening, but it went on for a week. They made a feast. Now, in verse 23, look at this. In the evening, Laban took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob goes ahead and consummates the marriage with Leah, thinking that she was Rachel. I used to wonder about this passage. I, 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 used to, I, used to, I used to think, how in the world could Jacob not know? But here's how. The bride was heavily veiled in those days. All you probably would have seen is the eyes. And clothing can conceal form. And at night it gets really dark at this time. You know, at our house, I was thinking about this the other night. It, 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 many of you have been to our home. And, you know, at night, it's really not that dark. Why? Because we have street lights on and we have, you know, the neighbors, some, have, some of them have lights above their garage and the lights are always on. So there's always some light. That wouldn't have been the case here. Tammy and I stayed at a place called Dugspur, Virginia. And nobody knows where Dugspur is because people who've been in Virginia, we talked to a woman who'd been in Virginia for 80 years and she didn't know where Dugspur was. Nobody knows where Dugspur There's five people that know where Dugspur is. And Tammy are two of them. <laughs> we stayed in Dugspur out in the middle of the woods. It was beautiful, but there was nothing around. And I'm going to tell you, at night, it was night. It was dark. There was some light because there were a couple of houses and there, there were lights on. So it wasn't completely as dark as it would have been here. When, the night, when it came nighttime, it was pitch black, unless there was a moon out. So you have pitch, pitch black darkness and a veiled bride. Yes, yes, this is what happened. And when Jacob wakes up at first light expecting Rachel, he discovers that he's been in the tent all night with her older sister, Leah. Now, this isn't even a good, bad joke, is it? I mean, this is bad for everybody. This is bad for Leah. You know, you think about Leah in this. Now, Leah had to, I think, had to be in on the deception. And some people will go as far as to say, well, they were married. No, they weren't married. 
I, I've heard people say, people who I really respect say, well, they're married. This is, they're, no, they're not married. I'll tell you why they're not married. Because Jacob didn't give consent to marrying Leah. He didn't give consent to that. I'll argue forcefully against that. I don't know if they exchanged vows, but I just officiated a wedding last Saturday. And when I did that, I was very clear with names. There's a reason that we're very clear with names. Do you, Andrew, take Tara? And even when this, who gives Tara, who gives, who gives Tarlin, uh, Marie Baker to be married to Andrew Christopher Reed. You see how specific we are? There's a reason we're that specific. When this thing was thrown, who is Jacob? Everyone knows who Jacob is supposed to be married. This is done in the middle of the night in secrecy. Jacob didn't consent to marrying Leah. He worked seven years for Rachel. I'll argue forcefully against that. And I think that's going to show us some grace here as we, as we move forward here. Well, what, is, what does Jacob do? You've got to remember, there is six more days of this. There's six more days for Jacob. Jacob, uh, he wakes up in the morning, he runs to Laban, and he says, what is this that you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me, he says. Look at verse 26. It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Ooh. Oh, that would have stopped Jacob right in his tracks, wouldn't it? Because you see, Jacob has got some character issues here. And one thing Jacob does not respect is the idea of the firstborn. He deceived his brother for a birthright. He deceived his father. Jacob is a cheater. And here, the cheater has been cheated. That's the point I want to make. I told you I'd get to it eventually. I usually don't take this long. We have to let it play out. Now, let's start putting it together here and move to a close. Remember I asked you to keep verse 15 as a watermark? Verse 15 of chapter 28 where God says, I'll be with you. And, and that comes after the ladder. And we might say, okay, the ladder of the angels, is, is, you know, the angels are ascending and descending and God's going to be with you. And yeah, you, you, If you were Jacob, think back to your wedding day. Think back to your wedding day, fellas. And wake up the next morning and it not be the one who you thought you married. I mean, put yourself in that spot and think back to verse 15. Would you be tempted to say, God, you said you were going to be with me. How are you with me in this? Oftentimes, and we should make a parallel between Genesis 24 and Genesis 29. Those of you who were in the study were with us in Genesis 24. In Genesis 24, the servant, the servant goes back to Laban's household to find a wife for, his, for, for Isaac, right? And he comes to a well, right? And at a well, he sees a beautiful woman, and her name's Rebecca, right? 
and she happens to be uh, the bride, right? You see all those parallels? Genesis 29, Jacob, Jacob comes to Haran, to Laban's place. He comes to a well. And who comes? A beautiful woman who turns out will be his bride. You see the parallels? I have a commentary in my library, and it's a commentary that comes highly recommended. It was written a number of years ago, and it's very useful. However, at the end of each chapter, there's a, there's a section that says homiletical uh, suggestions, meaning here's some suggestions for the preacher to use as a homiletical point. I've never been able to use any of these, by the way, because, listen, you, you can read these commentaries, you can take these suggestions, and you can write a sermon, and you can preach that sermon if you want to, and people might see connections that they've never seen before, and they might learn some things, and afterwards they might even say to you, wow, that made me think uh, that um, I never saw that in the text before, blah, 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 but one thing is not going to happen, they're not going to be cut to the heart. You will not be moved by the Holy Spirit of God if that's what I make a regular practice of doing. What I must make a regular practice of doing is seeking the Lord for the homiletical point. Lord, I need the homiletical point because you are a particular group of people with particular needs in a particular place. And you haven't been brought here this morning by accident. And we want God to speak, don't we? We want Him to speak. But what He says in His homiletical suggestions is that Genesis 29 is not useful for the pulpit on Sunday mornings. Because all of the lessons have already been covered in Genesis 24. And Genesis 29 should be covered in Sunday school. And I read that and I think to myself, that floors me that we could ever come to such a conclusion as that. Are there parallels running very closely between 24 and 29? Amen. But there's something going on here that's very powerful that we didn't get in Genesis 24, that we get in Genesis 29, and that's the thing that we need to search for because that's the very thing that God has for us when we come to Genesis 29. It's not there willy-nilly. There's a purpose for it. And what is the purpose for it? How could God be in this thing that has just happened to Jacob? He has promised he'd be with him. Oh, he is with him. Is he with him? As he wakes up and discovers that Leah is in his tent, is God with him? God hasn't committed any evil here, by the way. But God has allowed this to happen. And why has he allowed this to happen? Because Jacob has some serious, serious character defects. He does not respect the firstborn. Why is that so important? Je Jesus is the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn. Jacob, you need a good, healthy dose of respect for the firstborn. And you've been living there for seven years. And you should have known you don't marry the younger until the older is married off. And in a way, Jacob brought this on himself because that was the custom of the land. I'm not, I, I, this is a dirty, low down, mean trick that Laban pulls on Jacob. But Jacob is deceived and caught to the heart in his deception. And now he knows how Esau feels. And now he knows how his father feels, doesn't he? To be deceived in that way. 
Now, the reason I see so much grace here, I, I, this, this, I, this, is, this, this is changing him. This is changing him. He doesn't throw Leah out. Jacob doesn't throw her out. And as we go on in, in, in the text, we're going to see that Jacob never throws Leah out. What does Jacob do? Oh, he loves Rachel. He works another seven years for Rachel. But he doesn't throw Leah out. And we'll study that as we come to it. But what, what, what is the point for us this morning? What, how do we make... What, what do we do with that this morning? Well, sometimes something bad will happen in our life. And maybe you've had this experience where something bad happens. And it doesn't necessarily have to happen to you. But something bad happens. And in that bad happening, you discover something about yourself that is quite dark. Has anyone ever had that experience? Maybe it's your reaction to how something has happened and the coldness of your heart of how you've reacted. Maybe it is something that has happened to you, something terrible. And it reveals a character defect in your life. And you say to yourself, I'm not that person, am I? But it's inescapable. Because you are. And so am I. And what do we do with that? And where is God with that? We go to the ladder. And Jesus makes it clear. We saw that last week. Jesus interprets the ladder for us, doesn't he? What is the ladder all about? The ladder points to Jesus. Jesus says to Nathaniel, listen, I'm the ladder. We go to Jesus. And here's the beauty of the gospel. God knows that deep, dark secret that you have. And he has come to you anyway. He's right there. That's amazing grace, isn't it? That's amazing grace. If you're in Christ, listen, don't think that Jesus didn't die for that too. Because he did die for thou too. The deeper that pain goes, the deeper that defect is, the more, the more you're going to see Christ. You'll just see him more and more and more. Look down into those deep, dark recesses, if you dare to. Don't stay there, but look down into them. Look down into the deepest, darkest, worst thing you've ever done in your life. And you know what you're going to find if you're in Christ? You're going to find Jesus. That's what you're going to find. You're going to find Jesus because he's there. He knows that about you. But he loves you so very much that he has come to take that away. Amen. Heavenly Father. Oh, Father, to contain the tears that we may cry over the joy of this news of the gospel. Father, you could love us so very much that you would come to our worst moment and to the darkest recess of our heart. And there we would find you atoning for our sin and doing more than that, but training us in righteousness, even in the midst of discipline. As we see Jacob disciplined, Father, we know that you discipline those whom you love. And oh, Father, we too have experienced your discipline. 
And Father, let us rejoice, even though it's painful at the time and far from pleasant, but yet it will produce righteousness, O oh Father. And it will help us to see Jesus in his beauty and his splendor and his majesty, and it will really help us to perceive the great grace that we have received, O oh Father. Teach us these things. Train us in these things, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen.